Your Money Replay from Money FM 89.3. Influence with Michelle Martin on Your Money, only on Money FM 89.3. What do the professionals know about investing in ETFs? And with the Singapore government announcing it will cut economic growth forecasts this year, what does this mean for investors with ETFs tracking the Singapore market? We're going to speak with Michel Ferrario, co-founder and CEO of Stash Away right now. He spent half his career in or around financial services. He was a consultant to large financial institutions at McKinsey & Co., a private equity investor. And then he spent the second part of his career building consumer internet companies. Most recently, he was group CEO of Zalora, where he was responsible for growing it 15 times. Michelle holds an MBA from Columbia Business School in 2016. He was invited by Singapore's Minister of Finance to be a member of Singapore's Committee for the Future of the Economy. Good morning, Michelle. Good morning. Thank you for having me. Good to have you here with us. Okay, coming up, the big news today, the government is cutting this year's economic growth forecast in Singapore at between 0 to 1%. That's down from the original range of about 1.5 to 2.5%. In the short term, what does this mean for investors who are looking at ETFs tracking the Singapore market? This comes as part of a series of news that have been coming through for the past few quarters where growth forecasts and data for the non-US economy has been slowing down and kind of going a bit worse than people expected. Now, you asked me about the short-term impact and answer to that is that probably markets will be a bit more volatile than usual. But my actual answers of what investors should be doing is actually think long-term and kind of try not to look too much at short-term volatility. The reaction of the market may be fast and quick, but that's not what people should look at. The reality is that this stresses once again the importance of having a global diversified asset allocation and avoiding home bias. So if you have all of your assets in Singapore, you may be more concerned than you would have been if your asset would be diversified globally, which what every investor should be doing. Now, economy does have an effect, a medium-term effect on returns of various asset classes. So having economic numbers going in one direction are a trigger for changing asset allocation. So what we would recommend to any investor, being investors in ETFs or using other instruments is, A, focus on the long term, don't overreact. B, try to use asset allocation to achieve real diversification globally. And C, position yourself to maintain your risk constant, which means you may want over time to make sure that if data you know, across the world or across non-US markets keep being soft, you may want to have a bit more exposure to kind of more protective asset classes, fixed income, for instance, or gold, and maybe reduce your exposure to more growth-oriented asset classes like equities, where volatility may spike and therefore your risk may actually be higher than what you want. Sound advice there. Before we go any further, maybe you can explain to investors a little bit about what StashAway does offer them. Absolutely. So StashAway is a digital wealth management platform. The way we think about it is that we help people build their wealth in the long term. And what we actually do in practice is we build portfolios diversified across asset classes globally using, as of today, ETFs as the main instrument to the exposure. So a client with us will seamlessly and easily get a portfolio of somewhere between 7 and 12 asset classes for each of their goals or each of their portfolios, as mentioned with equities, bonds, gold, real estate across the world. And then we dynamically adjust asset allocation over time. So what I just mentioned, the idea of adjusting your asset allocation to make sure your risk is constant and protecting your capital first with a long-term view is what we do automatically as a service to our customers. Where does it sit in the field of robo-investing? 
this is what people usually call robo-advisory, robo-investing more, uh, more broadly across the world. And in reality, we, some robo-advisors don't actually change portfolios over time. We have actually a more dynamic approach to it. So we are passive investors. We invest in passive instruments, but we do manage asset allocation with a strategic view. So if you are a customer of StashAway, you may see every three to seven years, large changes in asset allocation driven by the economy. And every year, maybe smaller changes also driven by asset allocation and so the economy and valuation adjustment, but smaller changes. So we do provide an asset allocation service, which may be on top of what traditional robo-advisors may do. To help us understand the advantages and the disadvantages of an ETF that an investor should consider before investing in one in this climate where volatility seems to be the theme. Absolutely. So first of all, maybe what are ETFs? So ETFs are exchange-traded funds. So they are funds, similarly to unit trust or mutual funds, but they are exchange-traded. So they are traded on a stock exchange like any stock. So what are the advantages? Most ETFs are passive. People tend to think ETFs are all passive and uh, unit trusts are all active. It's not true. But for the sake of argument, let's assume that's actually the case. So like we're talking about passive instruments, so the passive portion of ETFs, which is the great majority. So what it means is that there's no active decision making on picking securities. So there's nobody making a decision whether to buy DBS, OCBC, or UOB. ETFs that track the STI, for instance, in Singapore, will simply reflect the proportions of size of DBS, OCBC, and UOB in its tracking. So there's no real decision making. It's decided at the beginning. What that means is that ETFs is incredibly good instruments to get broad diversification very easily. So when you buy for instance, uh, S&P 500 uh, ETF tracker, you are de facto buying 500 shares. So you are buying in one instrument exposure to a very diversified portfolio of equities. In this case, the S&P 500. The same, you know, in STI would be 30 shares. And so they, that gives you incredibly diversification at a very low cost. In fact, second advantage versus other instruments is lower cost because of A, the fact that they are passive, so they don't have teams of people making stock picking decisions, and B, uh, the way they are distributed through stock exchanges rather than over the counter, the cost of buying into an ETF is significantly lower than the cost of buying into a more traditional unit trust or mutual funds. And that's actually more return for you. If you save one, one and a half percent, that's one and one and a half percent more returns for you, which over time is actually a lot of money. And third, they're liquid. So you can buy them and sell them any day on the stock market. Now, this is a general statement, meaning that when you pick ETFs, you need to make sure you know how to pick them, meaning uh, as in every successful thing in the world, now there is lots of them, right? ETFs have been very successful, and so a lot of people- Very popular. Exactly. As they become more popular, there is more people issuing ETFs, Mm. and not all ETFs are created equal. So you need to actually pay some attention on making sure you pick the right ones. So pay attention to liquidity, pay attention to total cost, not just expense ratio, but also including BDNAS spreads, including tracking error, including taxes, for instance, and making sure that you actually kind of uh, look at who's the issuer behind uh, each of the ETFs. Okay. Are there any disadvantages that investors should be aware of? Look, it's uh, for most asset classes, I don't think there is any big disadvantage. There are some asset classes where ETFs are not good instruments. For instance, in some commodities, uh, so gold is a commodity where it's actually ETFs are very good, but there are other commodities like oil, for instance, where it's difficult to get exposure and uh, in the right way because of contango's effect. There are certain asset classes where it's difficult to get broad, uh, kind of proper exposure with ETFs, but for 
99.9% of the asset classes that any individual investor would need in a portfolio, ETFs are a great instrument. And as protests in Hong Kong continue, what should investors be aware of if they've invested ETFs in that market? As I mentioned earlier, I think that, uh, first of all, hopefully they don't have everything they have invested in the Hong Kong stock market. Hopefully they have some diversification. If they don't, what they should be thinking is, how do I diversify my portfolio? I don't want to have all of my money you know, at risk because of something happening in one city in the world. The world is large. The economy is gigantic. Markets are many. We should all use that breath and have some diversification. You can expect some more volatility probably in the short term in that market. And you need to live with that. So you need to make sure that your portfolio has the right risk level. If the volatility of your portfolio currently make you feel a bit not at ease, you lose your sleep over it, it means you probably have too much risk in your portfolio. And what you should be doing is adjust that risk. Make sure that it's actually the right risk for you, for where you are in life, for what you can afford, for you know what makes you comfortable. And this is a very personal type of decision. One of the things that you asked earlier, what does a robo-advisor do? One of the things that the platform does is helps people understand what is the right risk level given where you are in life, what are your preferences, and what are your goals. We're trying to learn what the professionals understand about investing in a volatile market with Michelle Ferrario, co-founder and CEO of Stash Away. What costs should the investor be aware of when it comes to investing in ETFs on your platform? So on our platform, on top of the cost of the ETF, we only charge one fee. We charge somewhere between 0.8% per annum for portfolios below $25,000. And then that percentage goes down as the portfolio grows, down to 0.2% above a million dollars. This includes everything. It includes brokerage cost. It includes custody. The only thing that it does include is the cost of the ETF, which is charged by uh, the fund manager directly. And it's on average 0.2%. So sub 1%, you get diversified portfolios across asset classes and a strategic asset allocation management that I mentioned earlier that helps people navigate the ups and downs of the various markets. Okay, so how does this compare with the general cost an investor should look out for when trading in ETFs? So when you invest in Singapore, the most uh, common instrument is buying unit trust and that the cost of buying unit trust is incredibly higher and the reason for that is the cost of distribution, meaning that the banks charge a lot of money to distribute this product. So you're saving somewhere between one and two and a half percentage point per annum if you actually kind of invest through stash away the way I just mentioned versus buying through a traditional channel bank or independent financial advisors buying Unitrust. Similarly for investment link policies, which tends to also charge somewhere between two and a half and three and a half percent when you put all the costs together. Well, investors are always looking out for, you know, where their next best decision could lie. So what are some examples, in your opinion, of ETFs that are doing well in the market currently? So, look, I keep saying that you need to look at strategically, right? So I'm not going to answer what is currently doing well, but rather what you know, what are good instruments to get exposure to a variety of different asset classes. So when you look at U.S. exposure, for instance, there are very large ETFs that track the U.S. market. The U.S. market has been doing very well. So that's actually also answer your question directly. Uh, you know, the S&P 500, for instance, has a few that are big. We use a couple of them. For instance, we use SPY from State Street, which is actually the largest ETF in the world, as well as IVV from BlackRock iShares. And SPY charges nine basis points. IVV charges four basis points. They all 
both of them trade more than a billion a day, one billion dollars a day. So that's very, very, very liquid instruments where you always know that if you want to sell tomorrow, you're going to get somebody on the other side of the table. The bid and ask spread is 0.00%. That's a good measure of liquidity for these ETFs. Great insight there from Michelle Ferrario. Just before we let you go, Michelle, how does a retail investor value an ETF? So, as I mentioned earlier, when you actually pick ETFs, you need to look at a few details, right? You don't want to, not every ETF is, is uh, created equal. So, uh, first of all, you need to pick the asset classes you want to get exposure to. And after that, you need to, for that asset class, you need to choose what you think is the best ETF. So, look at cost, but look at cost in a broad way, not just the expense ratio, which is very easy to read, but look at bid and ask spread, look at tracking error, look at taxes. A lot of people focus on taxes here in Singapore because obviously we live in a very nice place where taxes are very, very low. And so we're used to that. The reality is that with all the taxes in, for instance, US markets are only a small portion of total cost of an ETF. So don't just focus on that. Use it as part of your evaluation. You want to look at who's the issuer you want to look at liquidity. You want to make sure that the ETF is actually well traded on the market. And size is also a, a good proxy to look at that. And, you know, when you look at Singapore, for instance, there is also there's starting to be some volume in the ETF traded in Singapore. Singapore government bonds, for instance, there is an ETF from Nikko with more than $800 million under management and a 0.25% expense ratio. Or on the STI, there is Nikko and also State Street for a large, well-traded, low expense ratios ETF. So uh, the reality is that also in, uh, kind of in the local market, there starts to, be, starts to be some choice. People should anyway be aware of not having too much home bias. You are in Singapore don't invest everything in Singapore. The same way that British people tend to overinvest in London and US people tend to overinvest in the US, Singaporeans tend to overinvest in Singapore. You actually need to have a broad global asset allocation as today's news kind of helps underline even more. Singapore is a global, is an open economy in a global market. So probably the slowdown has been triggered more by things that are happening outside of Singapore than in Singapore itself. And therefore, you want to have some diversification. Good to have your thoughts on the current situation. Thank you so much for coming by as well. What the professionals know about investing in ETFs in this day and age with Michelle Ferrario, co-founder and CEO of Stashaway. Before acting on the information on Money FM, please consider if it's suitable for your own investment objectives, financial situation, and risk tolerance. To listen to more great interviews, download our podcasts at moneyfm893.sg or download the SPH radio app available on Google Play or the App Store.